Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be light and darkness in this Meshuggah world and where it seems to be getting darker and darker, yet, Lord, you have, you challenge us um, not to hide our light under a bushel, um, but to hold it up high, and Lord, we want to do that. We thank you, Lord, for what you have been teaching us during the last few weeks. And uh, we pray, Lord God, that tonight uh, you would anoint Rabbi David to uh, share and lead the discussion, uh, Father God, according to your will, so that each one of us comes away with a clearer grasp of what you have for us to do in reaching out to neighbors and friends and others, Lord, with the good news and being instant in season and out of season. So we pray, Lord, for your Ruach uh, to lead us into all truth. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. So tonight's a little different in the sense of um, that this is kind of what I titled on the notes there, a review and practical application. And review means that, uh, you know, this has been going on for several weeks where we've been looking at um, examples primarily in, in the life and ministry of Paul in the book of Acts. Um, and we also looked at uh, uh, Philip last week with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. But um, that, that's, so in the sense, we want to, we want to, Stop, I think, and review some of that. And also, I want to do some what I would call practical application by way of a couple of, I said, two case studies. And you'll see what I, what I mean as we go on. Um, I did. I participated in two um, similar assignments, but different assignments while in seminary that I wanted to share some of the results with you that were really kind of some practical, hopefully can help us put some uh, practicality to what we've been talking about. So. Hopefully you've been with us for, for I think most, a lot of you have been here for every one of these talks, and, and, and some of you haven't, so um, if you've been here, what would you say, anything stand out in terms of what we've been learning by looking at these stories um, in, in Acts, um, with, with the interaction with non-believers primarily? Has anything stood out to you? We've entitled this walking in, a, in another a mile in, a, in someone's moccasins, and I'll, I'll touch on that as we go a little bit further down in the notes, but... Anything that, that uh, comes to your mind that, that's um, stood out primarily by looking at these stories? Joy. If you're trying to deliver a message to somebody and they're not quite on the same page as you are, try and put your message on their level. Mm -hmm. Find something in common with them so they can relate. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> put your, if you didn't hear that, I said to put yourself on their level to maybe try to look for a, a point of commonality. I may mention that again later. Anything else? Stand out for some of these stories. Paul and Iconia, Paul and Lystra, uh, Athens, Philip talking Ethiopian unit, unit. Any anything that has stuck with you? Or we just all our efforts have been in vain. It was just all all stuck with you. <laughs> Horrible. You say, what did I talk about last week? I have no idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, Mary. But um, it's funny because. Holy Spirit is the, should be the focal point or a trusting point mm -hmm. that as we go out and whoever we encounter, the Holy Spirit. 
Reliance on being empowered. Um, I will. We're not going to do a lot of. There's a Bible study, I know, but I want to. I'm not going to. I'm not focused on a particular text tonight. But if you want to turn your Bibles to one section, I. I, I sorry, Michael, I sprung it on you. But it's really. I can, I'm going to read it too. Second uh, Timothy, chapter three. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I did mention didn't mention this when we were looking at uh, one of Paul's. Uh, when I was kind of giving a, a, a synopsis of what Paul said. Because Paul himself tells us what he learned through all of his stuff. If none of you had any, you know, or any fact about anything that we read about, which I'm just giving you a hard time. But Paul himself did talk about, you know, what, what he uh, gained, I think, through all these different experiences that we read about. And in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10, um, this is Paul speaking. He says, you, he's speaking to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Then he talks about some of the things that happened in some of the things that we looked at, these different stories. He said, um, so some of the things that, he says, what kind of things happened to me? You know about these things. These things in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in the Messiah Yeshua will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know, uh, though you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And then the one that we all know, we probably have know this one, but this is the context of this verse. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I think often you know, we know that verse, all Scripture is inspired. Well, this is what precedes it. This is what we look at a lot of these stories that Paul said, that, you know, that he's faced all these things and his, where his foundation was. So again, what were those things? We know that Antioch, uh, they kicked him out of town. We know that Iconium, he fled due to an imminent and threatened uh, stoning. We know that at Lystra, we could argue, and some people argue, that Paul actually was killed. But certainly, if nothing else, he was close to being killed, uh, to the point where others thought him uh, to be um, a god there. Right? He, he was, that, that was another, another thing that happened to him in Lystra. There are others. Paul mentions those three here in 2 Timothy. But the lessons, the lessons, I think, at least if if we were to look at the lessons from all of those things, is that by following his purpose, by following, it says, his faith or his manner of life, the way he lived his life, uh, it's assumed, I think we can, we can learn and say, it's assumed that there's going to be persecution, right? There will be evil people. We're not trying to preach doom and gloom or assume doom and gloom, but look, it's just, you might as well think that this is a possibility, right? As you're, as you're walking out your, your faith, your manner of life. Um, we also see that uh, we've seen through some of these stories that people might want to um, piggyback or take advantage in a negative way uh, off of your success and the fact that maybe you're, you know, you're, you're successful living. We've seen some of that in, in Paul's stories, right? Um, but, but in the middle of all that, that you must continue, Paul says, in the things that you are assured of, okay? And so what are those things that you're assured of? 
That's what Paul says here. He says, look, all this stuff happened to me, and what you need to do, he says in verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of or assured of. What are you assured of? What are those things? Prayer works. Prayer works? You're assured that prayer works? Absolutely. God's Word. God's Word? Salvation. Yeshua died for us. Uh-huh. Salvation. That day I said, there's some things we're assured of in this life, right? The Bible is true. Death. How about that? <laughs> taxes. Remember that? You remember that. that was a... Death, taxes, more taxes, expenses along the way, persecution, that kind of stuff. Um, but again, as Chaim says, I mentioned that earlier, you know who God is and who God isn't. That's basically what, what, what Paul is saying is that these things that you all have mentioned here, um, that we know that there is a God, we know we, we have our reliance on the scriptures. And again, that's I think why this verse, this passage ends with, with what the one we're all very familiar with, that all scripture is God breathed, right? Because this is, that being the context, the purpose of scripture is for you to be able to, to lean on the scripture in times of persecution, in times of deception, in times of evil, in times of just the stuff that you know is going to happen, good or bad. It's going to be good times. I don't mean to say it's all going to be bad times. Um, but the scriptures are the things that we can be assured of. So for our folks that just came in, I will, I'll take advantage of, of them having come in because give them a chance to say what I had asked was anything. This is a review tonight and maybe a little bit of practical application from what we've been studying with the stories from Acts. Is there anything that stood out to you folks about what we've looked at in some of those stories from Paul or you and Philip last week? Well, you, maybe you weren't here. Would you feel unique? Okay. Is there anything in, in, the, in the moccasins uh, cert, uh, studies that have stood out to you? You don't have to answer. You're not adjusted. That's fine. Might give an opportunity later. I'm sure there are things that have. Okay. The brain is tired at the moment. No problem. I want to give you an opportunity, and that's kind of where we are. So I just, so just in review, those are the things that Paul, I think, learned from his interactions, because he mentioned those three, and he's kind of talking globally that the reliance is on uh, the Scripture, which is God-breathed, and so forth, the things he have learned. So that's what he can be assured of. Um, so tonight, again, I said that we're going to look at two kind of case studies. So um, in your notes there, it says apologetic interview or apologetic interaction. Does anyone not know what apologetics is? Is what that term means? Would anybody like to don't raise their would, would anyone like to raise their hand and have me explain it for a friend of yours? <laughs> no. It's it's the ability know. to give an answer uh-huh. for why you believe what you believe. Sure. Yeah. It's not. It's not about apologizing, but uh, giving an answer. Right. Um, so I put interview or interaction because these were kind of my two case studies. I had. I had one of each. I had an apologetic interview, and I had an apologetic interaction. Um, do you think there's a difference? Can you think of a difference? Do they sound different to you in any way? Interview versus interaction? What might be the difference between those two things? Because this is something that you might engage in and might find yourself engaged in now that you're armed about you know, learning how to walk in someone's moccasins. Any thoughts? Me that an interview would be more formal than an interaction. Okay, more formal? Mm-hmm. More formal in the sense that they have come with a list of questions pre-prepared. The, versus the interaction the, the, would be more cause and effect more more oh you said this so that brings up this point so okay be more relaxed okay and these are not these are not necessarily officially terms of art these are what I what I did and I'll explain the difference between the, the two that I did and, and, and but it also might be able to relate it in, in some of your uh, your interactions with people um, any other thoughts before I reveal to you the big difference I'd say maybe interaction is more of a, a sharing also mm-hmm. Like instead of just asking them, you 
maybe give a response to how you would answer those questions or how you've experienced okay. God working in your in your life in that regard. Yeah. Okay. Questions. Were you shooting off a fly, Rachel? Did no, you have a question? No, I had a What oh. came to mind was, um, <laughs> I've never actually thought of this before, but um, with an a apologetic interaction, would it be accurate to say, like, um, one time that came to mind um, was when I was at work. I was working with a lot of Muslims, and one guy had forgotten to fast on Ramadan. Mm. And I could tell he was really feeling bad about it. So I started asking him questions and got the conversation going. Next thing I knew, I was sharing about um, my faith mm. as he was sharing about his. And it was a thing of sharing, mm. not arguing. Okay. So would that be accurate? Yeah. Well, actually, what, what everyone else said is not wrong. But what Bill said, and you said, is probably more to the point of what I want to want to focus on, is that and, and with what I did, my interview was actually a really uh, – an interesting experience for me because I think most of us, and when we're talking about walking and walking a mile in someone's moccasins, for example, um, I think we think of it more in terms of the interaction part, where it's we're witnessing to somebody there, you know, we're asking them questions or telling us, and we're keying off something they say and get, you know, giving some input or sharing our faith and so forth. Whereas the interview was actually a very interesting thing, and I want to I want to actually read some things from the interview and kind of get your thoughts on it because the interview was literally just a there was a bunch of questions that I asked somebody. And it wasn't me saying, you've got to be kidding me, you believe that? Or it wasn't me saying, oh, but do you know the Bible says this? Or, oh, that reminds me of what I was going. There was no back and forth. There was literally me just fine. And that's, if you remember, way back when, that's the very first thing that I talked about. I think I told you that I was inspired by Dr. Michael Brown, who said, before you get into, you know, trying to combat Jewish objections to Yeshua or anyone's objections to God or what have you, he said, you need to... Basically, he says, walk a mile in the moccasins. He says, you've got to feel the weight of their objection. You've got to understand. You've got to fully understand what it is they're having trouble with understanding or believing or accepting. And you've got to not just say, okay, I understand. They, don't, they can't believe it's possible for God to have created the world in six days or whatever it might be. You've got to feel the weight of it. And that takes some time. That takes maybe multiple questions. That takes you thinking about their, their objection. That takes you not firing back immediately with your side of the equation. That might actually take you researching their side of the equation to where you really feel the weight of it. And that's what the interview was. Uh, that's what I had to do. I asked a series of questions. I'm not going to go over all of them. Actually, I put a number of the questions that I want to want you to consider. Uh, and what I'm going to read to you is my, my respondee gave. And my respondee, I will not divulge their, their, uh, their identity. I will say it was a Jewish person, ironically enough. Uh, and they, at the time, I think they maybe were uh, around late 40s or 50 years old and uh, not a practicing Jewish person but raised in a, Jew, in a Jewish family and these were their answers but it was just an interview it was just a matter of finding out what they believe and it was hard to not come back and say point out the inconsistencies that I felt that I saw but it really had made me think it really gave me a much better a much uh, broader perspective of what I'm quote up against when it comes to the interaction part being able to really share faith and bring someone along and so that's kind of where I'll, where I'll probably end tonight um, and so that kind of answers uh, my, my second point that I put in notes, is that does this, this meaning the um, apologetic interview, differ in any way from apologetics or sharing the good news? And I sort of answered that in the sense of there's a, we're talking right here sharing the good news, apologetics. But I think there is a place for um, and value in thinking about gathering information from people versus distributing information. In thinking that, as I put in your notes here, that those two don't necessarily have to be, well, I put the question mark, but I'm answering it, that they don't necessarily have to be simultaneous. 
think we always think about sharing the good news is I'm listening and I'm sharing my faith and, it, and it's this back and forth. And there actually it might be times where you're just gathering information. And again, every situation is different. Um, but at, as at the next point there, you know, it says that others, when we talk about other people's moccasins, that can be culture. We've kind of done this in the, in the perspective of, you know, obviously a Jewish person's moccasins. We want it, but although we looked at stories where they were not Jewish people and all these, but in our context of Yeshua Tzion, it's looking at, at the, uh, the culture, the, the Jewish culture. It can be about that. Other people's moccasins and thinking about it, putting myself in their shoes can be about, okay, what culture do they come from? What's their background? This and that. However, I really think there's probably less uh, brands of moccasins than we think. That's what I that's what I put in there. It's less brands. What brands do you think of moccasins there could be out there? What brands? Denominations. Think denominations? Yeah. I'm talking about people who don't believe in the Lord. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, specifically, but okay, different denominations. I, I, I tend to think it's a lot simpler than we, you know. It's like there's people who believe and people who don't believe in God, quite frankly. I think now within there, sure, there's some other different cultural things and barriers and all that kind of stuff. But I think when it comes right down to it, and the reason I say that is I'm, I'm gonna we're gonna go over some of these questions here, and some of the responses I got from a you know what we a lot of us in this room hopefully would say uh, are people we'd like to talk to, Jewish people, what our ministry focuses on. And I think you'll probably see here that this brand of moccasins is probably you know it's just someone that doesn't believe or someone that's kind of out there in the world nowadays. Quite frankly, that's what I think. Um, my personal opinion. So let's take a look. Let's take a look here at some of these uh, these questions. This is from case study number one. I've got a lot more questions in this, but these are questions where I think we want to talk about um, messianic prophecy and Isaiah 53, and you know how you can believe in Yeshua and still be Jewish. And these are all good things to consider. But uh, what about the question of where do you think humans come from? I mean, what's your answer to that question? Anyone want to, want to throw an answer out? Are we guessing what the person? No. What you what you mean? What you know? What what would you say? Maybe maybe like you guess. Genesis addresses. Okay. Everyone kind of think So so let's let's go with what you said. Maybe that's curious. If you want to guess, that's fine. I'm I'm going to read you the answers. But because again, this is this is you know. At some point, there's got to be a commonality of someplace, right? But I think this is this is certainly one thing. Maybe maybe the person you're talking to agrees with that I don't know. Um, but I'll, t- I'll just read this for you. Let's, let's try to get into this. I'm not sure how this was going to go tonight, so let's just see. So where do you think humans come from, or came from? Um, evolved from the stuff that all life is made of. Darwinian evolution. Survival of the fittest. With a small possibility that a life force or genetic material may have come from outside this planet and catapulted humanity to what we are today. This is a a Jew with a master's degree who's relatively successful in life. A non-believing Jew. Non-believing. You don't believe in anything. What's that? This way. Yes, exactly. I mean, in terms of somebody, you know. So would you call him a secular? I didn't say it was a him. I didn't say it was a her. I didn't say say either. Would you call them secular or or atheist? Because to me, I have a lot of Jewish friends that are Well, from this answer, and I think you tell I would call this person agnostic. Because there's a little possibility of catapulted extraterrestrial thing. And again, <laughs> well, we're all kind of giggling too, but think about this again. We can just sort of giggle. It's <laughs> ridiculous. This is a real legitimate, like, not a stupid person. This is a re- real person out there that we could be encountering 
And again, are you going to immediately say, well, let me tell you why survival of the fittest does not work? Or are you going to really take in, this is, an, this is the interview, remember. Okay? So, food for thought. Again, I don't believe, I mean, now, I wish I could sit here and so say I interviewed, you know, 15 people. Here's the representative. This is one person. I don't think it's such a far-fetched thing for anyone to say, quite frankly. I don't think it would be so far-fetched that you'll never run into somebody with that kind of mindset. Um, but here's, a, here's an important one. I think this one we might get different answers in this room. Maybe you'll get the, we'll get the, the proper you know, uh, um, church council response. Maybe. I don't know. What is the goal of life in society? What is the goal of life in society? Anyone want to? Are you asking us? I'm asking you this. I'm asking you because I think this one we might get some different answers. Serve God. To serve God. Ding, ding, ding. That's the one. There you go. <laughs> Anyone else? I'm not saying it's wrong either. I'm just something I figured. I thought maybe we'd get some varied answers. Anyone else want to massage it a bit? To be to be good to fellow men. Be good to fellow, not women, only men. Mm -hmm. uh, men. I went to Denver Seminary. It's inclusive language. Yes. Be good, be good to fellow men and women. Yes. Yeah. Be, good to, be good to one another. Okay. Any other thoughts? Love the Lord. To love the Lord. <laughs> See, now, here, here's the thing. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? Did you hear me say that? Were you going to say something? I was going to say, Oh. Your I thought you were going to say remodeled your kitchen to make your wife happy. I thought, I thought that was, okay, that's good. That's that 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 <laughs> so this, this, I think, is an interesting one because, um, especially with, with, with what Rabbi Heim said, the fact of the matter is uh, that might be an answer we get from somebody out there to be good to do. And that's actually a touchstone, quite frankly, you know, because that can lead to all kinds of stuff. That actually is biblical. I mean, that's not, I didn't say that because it's a good touchy-feely kind of thing. The fact is that's, that's supported in Scripture as well. This person said that, um, and again, I'm just reading the responses, and if you don't understand them necessarily, maybe I didn't either. Society is the human experience. Therefore, I don't believe there is a goal of life. So it's just kind of what is. Uh, some, somewhat deals with the desire to survive personally, um, but this person does not particularly respect that humanity has a goal because there's wars, there's evil, this kind of stuff. And you see, that's a recurring theme. I think it's very important for us to think about. So, but again, I think this is, a, this is an important one to consider because um, this person, if you said the goal of life down into this person is to love the Lord, I'm not disagreeing with that. The point is, that's going to... Make no sense to Yeah. Me. But this one might, and then you got a, you got a place to go from there. Um, this is this next one is very is a very important question, and a very important one to consider. When it all when it seems like all else fails, and you got somebody that's possibly, you know, the only thing they're going to concede to is that there might have been some kind of force, some kind of extraterrestrial force that catapulted itself into life, is this question: Are there things in the world? Uh, such as objective, knowable, and justifiable truths. Are there some things that are just like objectively, like, you know, no matter who you are, this is right, this is wrong, or this is true, this is not true. Are there things like that in the world? Are there objectable, objective, knowable, and justifiable truths? Um, this person said that anything is possible. There are truths, but potentially they could shift at any moment. Truths exist in science i.e., obviously not God, right? Being facetious, but that's sort of the thought process. There are certain principles, certain concepts that are true. Two plus two equals four, and so forth. Those are truths. 
But this is a very important one, I think, um, to consider whether there are, you know, there are um, things that are objective, you know, knowable truths. And I'll talk about that in my second case study. But like, this sometimes is a good, is a good place to go because I mean, do we agree there are things that are just objectable, knowable truths? Absolutely. Yeah. How about like, one example? Everybody dies. Okay. Gravity. Gravity. Okay. Um, the world is an evil place. Well, that's also part of it too. I mean, like, would everyone agree? And this kind of goes maybe to my next thing: is are there are there such things as good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil? Um, yeah. I mean, would we agree that it's just kind of not a it's it's objectifiable truth that you, it's just not good to like torture people for the fun of it, you know, for example, or to do something like that? I mean, that, that that's kind of an objective objective knowable truth because that leads into further questions as we go along. Say this for them. It's for them. It's okay. Okay, possibly it could be. So again, are there things such as good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil? Um, this person really would like to think so. This person said they would like to think so, but based on observations, they have doubts that there is clearly is good and evil because there's so much stuff that just happens that other people say. I mean, this is very you know esoteric kind of stuff. That some people say this is good, some people say this is wrong, some people say this is evil, but. And this person's viewpoint, they said, these things just are, you know, they just are. But again, this, this is a real important thing to, to, I think, to consider that you know, if, you can't, if you can't get someone to agree on this point, I think you're, it's pretty much, I don't want to say it's a lost cause, but this is, this is a basic, you know, this is, there are things that are just flat out wrong that are not moral, that are evil. That's you, like so non-committal, it's like moral relativism. Yeah. Like yeah. You can pick and choose what's good and bad depending on the circumstances that you see. Right. If it makes you happy. Yeah. But again, these are the things we're going to, these are things that literally I think I mean legitimately we run into out there. You know, with all of our, our effort on, on all this on all the apologetics, these are some of the base uh, issues. You want to say something? Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, uh, the attitude that what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you and mm -hmm. and uh, that's that, that is uh, how truth uh, truth is totally subjective. Yeah, if you look at these last three questions, they kind of follow a flow. Like, um, are there things such as objectifiable, noble truths? Are there, uh, maybe I didn't put the other one about evil. I meant to type, put that one in there. Um, are there things such as good, bad, right, wrong, evil? Depending on the answers we get here, the next question is, if so, where do these definitions or where does, where does you know, the evaluation of something being right or wrong, where does it come from? Where does it come from? That's the next logical logical question. This person, of course, just said it comes from randomness. You know, randomness, whether it's an endothermic reaction, an exothermic reaction, or something like that, it's just kind of a random thing, and things just kind of are or are not. But really, this, this is, these are some of the questions that, again, we're talking about, I think, two kind of moccasins, people who believe, people who don't believe, uh, and we all have to deal with the same question. You might think, what do these have to do with any kind of spiritual or biblical? They really do. We all have to deal with the exact same questions. We all have to deal with these exact same questions. Are there things we can know? Are there, you know, is, is, are there morals in life? And if there are, is there a moral giver? Why are you, why do evil things happen? We all have to come up with the exact same, the exact same answers to questions like this. Um, let me see here. So again, and that, that's probably why I highlighted this next one. How do you explain the evil things that happen in the world? And how do we explain the evil things that happen in the world? This is a big thing that I think we need to consider. Again, not to put down. Uh, Answering Jewish objections to Yeshua, but how do we explain the evil, you know, bad things that happen? Have you considered that much, or do you just not want to think about it? 
part of it is because we have free will. We actually yeah. cause evil to happen. And part of it is Satan. Right. Original sin. Evil fallen. Right. The weakness of human nature. The weakness of human nature, you said? Yeah. Oh, I, I just think you as this person is not believing anything in any he believe in, uh, in, in anything. How she knows how to do what is a right, what is a wrong, how she uh, how she how is what is his or his or her criteria for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I asked that later on. Um and I thought it was very incon- very inconsistent. Um, or just have to know enough to get by mm-hmm. that you don't have a guilt, you know, live a life of guilt, you know, that you know, lived up to certain standards. You know, up to your own standard and not bring the standard of, in this case, God mm-hmm. to make you a better person and to realize that, you know, to each other and sure. I wanted to think about these because, really, I don't know about you, but I, fortunately, I didn't have to interact with this person because it would have been a long <laughs> conversation. You know, I don't think it would have gotten anywhere. Because, but the, I think it's important to think about these because you're a long way from being able to talk about God with a person like this. You're a long way from it, and I'm not saying that you need to compromise or. You know, not try to not bring God into the into the picture, but we're sometimes you got to travel a long way to get to some type of common common ground. You know, I think someone mentioned that at the beginning, you know, getting to the common place. You might have to travel a long way to get to you know, are some things right and some things wrong? Okay, let's start there. You know, because you're not going to start the Bible, you're not going to get started. The goal of life is to please God. You're not going to get started in these kind of things. You might have to go quite a ways. Like for instance, my next question. Everyone thinks about this one. What do you think happens to you after you die? I'm assuming that person said nothing. Ceased to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They said the first thing they said was, "I have no idea." Um, this person said, "I expect to live to an old age, and expect to be ready for death. Uh, after death, this is interesting. After death." I hope I'll, I'll be able to interact, hold, or talk to those who have preceded me in death. So it'll be a concept like that or something that I just can't fathom right now. Um, and the biggest fear they had was just not being ready to die because it's something out of their control. Um, but here's something I've thought of, of recently, and I haven't had a chance to ask somebody this, because I think most people have that thought that you're thinking. That you know, and quite frankly, none of us. I mean, we, we can read the scripture and know what's. We don't know exactly how it's going to feel, how it's going to. You know, we're going to get there, like kind of thing. But we know, you know, like you said, what's. We know ultimately what's going to happen. Um, but something I thought of that I haven't had a chance to ask anyone yet. Um, no matter what they say, they say this kind of stuff, or I'm just going to cease to exist, or I hope I get to. My question is: Is that what you? Because um, I think this is a commonality. Is that what you? believe it's going to happen or is that what you really hope is going to happen? Or say it the other way around. Is that what you hope is going to happen or is that what you really believe that's what's going to happen? Because I think this is a real, a real, uh, a good place to kind of hit commonality with people. If someone says they really know it's going to happen, it's good for them. I mean, I'm not saying that literally, but you know, because I don't think if they're honest, they're really going to say, I absolutely know this is going to happen. 
I think most people would say, you know, I really hope that's the way it's going to be. And again, there's a there's a point, there's a place to, 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 to go from. Yes, Mary? I think everyone, whether they're believers or not, have, they have a knowledge or an inkling of hope to go on. Uh -huh. So it has to be, there's an instinct within human nature to know that they have to continue striving. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but again, it's a hope, right? Again, it's, it's a hope to go on, but what's it, what's it based on? Even, an, even a non-believer has that, we say hope, but the realization that if I do this, then this, I'll be okay. Yeah. Just reassuring themselves. Has anyone ever, I mean, I hope I'm not boring you with this, this stuff, but because, I mean, I was rereading this weeks ago, and we planned to kind of end the, end the session with this. Has, has anyone ever had this kind of conversation, like this kind of, had an opportunity, had an opportunity to ask people questions like this for? No. I thought it was very unusual. You, I flew three days with an atheist on the fourth day. He said, I bet you wonder why I didn't respond to any of your Jesus talk you've had with some of those the flight attendants. Uh -huh. And I said, you know, it's funny you bring that up because the Lord talked to me this morning about you. And this guy was very educated, very wealthy, very in love with the things of the world and, uh -huh. the, and the sheepskin on the wall and all that sort of stuff. And, I, and, I, and he says, well, so what are you going to tell? I said, I'm not telling you that. And I said, here's what's interesting. First Corinthians one, and I just read him that God will use the foolish things mm -hmm. of the world to frustrate the wise, and all that. And I closed the book and I said, I'm done. He says, You're not going to try to sell me. I said, no, I'm not selling you on Jesus. Yeah. I said, Train's pulling out of the station. It's up to you whether or not you're going to mm -hmm. be honest. And I said so. And then he wanted to non-stop talk about, mm -hmm. and all the spindle mm -hmm. started to fall apart of all his presupposed statements of fact mm -hmm. that had taken place now were deteriorating and I'm starting to see that he's, he's he realizes he's standing on thin ice which is weird because they until they get into the weeds kind of on that kind of a discussion with you they think that our justification for our faith is built on such shaky ground oh, like it's built on I'm nothing if you haven't had that kind of thing, I mean, I don't know what opportunity you might have, but if you are the type of person that wants to engage in spiritual conversation, talk, get into the Bible, get to Yeshua, whatever, I would encourage you to ask some questions in an interview style, in a way that you're not going to be saying, but what about this, but what about that, or anything. Because I think, it's again, it's, it's got to be, you've got to get to that point where you, realize, where you understand what people might even be thinking. Because I, I, honestly, I was... I was impressed with the answers. I don't mean impressed with, and I could show you, I could, if you guys want to look at the answers uh, that I have here, it'd be fine. I was impressed with, I mean, that they were well articulated. I found them to be very inconsistent, um, but a really good attempt to make sense of, of the world, you know what I mean? But I, I've never, I'd never had an opportunity to, to hear from someone like that before, so if you have a chance for someone will actually be open with you and say, look, I'm not going to, you know, like I'm, I, there's a question here I didn't say, I didn't, I didn't put all my questions on it, like, do you believe in heaven or hell? I'm just curious. You know, the point is, I'm not going to tell you there is or isn't. I'm just wondering, what well, do you believe in it and hear what you think about it? Because there was not a question I asked that the person was like, I don't know what you're talking about. They, they knew. They had sort of some answer. Yes, Mary? Um, I have a neighbor uh, who is a former Mormon, and they have a I do pull back because 
strong. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I throw them out once in a while for, mm -hmm. you know, in those seven years or something, mm -hmm. a neighbor. And uh, it's the idea that where do I go from there? Right. And that's the exact point. I know that I would sometimes feel sweaty and think I've got to, where do I go from there? i got to do something else. The fact is, we don't necessarily have to all the time. Well, that'll be the next step. Pauline? I like sharing my faith and talking to people about the Lord. Uh -huh. And um, one of the things that I found is if I do more of that, uh -huh. eventually, if I just keep asking questions and listening and asking questions and listening, eventually they do come around to, well, what do you mm -hmm. think? I mean, they'll eventually get there if I've built a relationship with them. Yeah. Um, instead of preaching at them, it's like find out what their belief system is, and eventually they'll want to know what mine is. Mm -hmm. And this, this last question I want to go in the interview thing here is, is what Joy and Greg kind of alluded to. Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts about the Bible, its origin, its historical reliability? That was a question I asked. And interestingly enough, I mean, I think, it, you know, maybe you get people, there are people who are just going to think there's nothing to it. I mean, what do you mean? It's like a foolish question. I was surprised this person said, um, this Jewish person finds the story of Yeshua fascinating. She said, Jesus, just so you know. Uh, he or she, sorry. Um, whether or not it's true or not, I don't know. This is crazy. Once something happens, that's it. In other words, we can't trust the historical record of anything. Really. So, right away there's a doubt about the reliability. But overall, feels that it must have origins somewhere and based on something. Um, so anyways, but I was surprised to think that there was... Uh, any any credence at all given to that because that's very this is very important the the historical you know reliability you know, we're not going to get into all that but this is again we don't know where anyone's coming from not until you ask these kind of questions do you have any idea and, and, and something like this can be very eye-opening because this is obviously there's very solid you know i mean we we can give our explanation for the problem of evil and it may seem weak there are you know biblical explanations for the, the, the problem why do bad things happen and so forth and quite frankly it is i've said it before it is the the weakest um, area of apologetics that there is. In other words, there are answers for it, but they're not phenomenal. I mean, they're not always all that satisfying, but neither is the quote-unquote opponent's position either. There's no, they don't have any good answers either, because theirs is just randomness. We have an answer. You know, we do have an answer for it. And, but we have solid answers for uh, the Bible, its origin, historical reliability, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that could be a surprising, um, surprisingly a surprise launching point, quite frankly. And then, what do you do, David? I had a neighbor years ago when I first moved here, and she was an older woman, and she said she didn't believe in God. She was pretty strong. She had been in the bombing at Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. and so she said that she thought she couldn't believe it. I didn't even offer it to her. I guess what I did, I did bring it up, that why, that she lived through this. Yeah, it seems pretty. It's, it's a pretty common thing. Again, this this goes this goes to. I mean, there's no there's no magic bullet for that. But this goes to. Um, it's a very common thing where people are not wanting to believe because of tragedy, because of hurt. Again, that's why I say the problem of evil and trouble is the most difficult thing. We don't want to say, oh, there's something good happened from the no. It's a terrible, sad thing, and all that. People have a sense of justice. They have, they want to have a sense that there is a God that cares about them and so forth. I don't have the magic answer, but I think that's the asking more questions about that. That's the core issue. 
So you don't believe in God because why? Is it because of Pearl Harbor? Is it because bad things happen? I mean, I want to dig deeper as opposed to immediately think of a, of a question. Because I think it comes down to some of those same hurts. That's why people are, are wanting to believe. Well, say you survived and you have to see that you know, under protection of, you know, of course, it was just luck or right place, right time. Sure. In fact, I wrote like a little summary after I did this interview because I had to think and consider, you know, how did I feel about these things? And one of the things I said is that uh, that this person kind of like, you know, would want to believe a lot of the things that, you know, quote unquote, believers in Yeshua believe. They'd want to believe that there's something out there after after death, you know. But they want to have a, this person has a problem believing there's anybody who would determine that, you know, that regardless of what that is, that life after death, it's got to be the same for all of us. And we can try to pigeonhole that. So that's universalism or that's whatever. But the point is, that's a common thought. There's got to be something else out there, life after death. But it just doesn't seem right that it'd be different for people. That speaks to me. I had another person, actually a co-worker years ago, we were driving in a car on a road trip one time, and that was the same thing. And I, and I think God gave me at the time what it was. That person, and I told him, I said, you, just have, you have a real strong sense of justice. You just want there to be justice. And, and that's a lead-in for the fact that, that any judge, righteous judge, there's got to be justice, right? So the fact is when someone's saying, I just can't believe that some are going to not make it, and some are, you know, it's got to be the same for everybody, the fact is that's expressing a, a biblical concept of justice, right? And so the thing that I always struggle with when we, when we witness or even talk to somebody just generically about mm-hmm. these concepts who is not a believer is having been a believer my entire life, I, can't, I have no concept of what it's like not to believe. This and so... I always wonder, and I don't think I've ever said this directly to somebody, but I always wonder, why do you go on? Why don't you just go slit your throat? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what causes you to to continue in life mm-hmm. without a purpose? Yeah. You know, it's, and I, I don't know that there is an answer for that. No, but this is a good reason say. for you if you have an opportunity to ask a question. Because like you said, in fact, going back to Michael Brown, I remember he said his wife was an atheist. And it took him, I don't know, if it, I can't remember if it was months or however long, it took him a long time because he, he, he just couldn't understand that mindset. He's like, and he was honest, I just can't. And he worked, and he tried, and he tried. And finally, he, one day, he said he finally got to a point where he really did finally feel it, like what that must be like to, to be antagonistic or not believe. And so, but it took him a long time. So asking those kind of follow-up questions would be good, because you're right. Maybe you're, you're, gonna learn, you're only going to learn something from it. What's the point of, of just sort of explaining why there's a God as opposed to figuring out why this person would want to go on with life if there's not, you know? Um, I sensed a genuine amount of desire for the person I interviewed that they wanted to be a good person. They wanted to make a difference in the world. And again, these are all things that are, uh, you know, living by biblical principles. And, and obviously, people who believed in God over the years have made all kinds of impacts in society and have, and have been positive impacts on the people. Is believing in in God at odds with that? I mean, that's what it seemed like. This person said, "I just want to be a good person." You know, I don't want to believe in all this. God says, "I just want to be a good person." As if somehow that is the, the in, antithesis of believing in God, you know. And I'm sharing these insights with you because you, you may, maybe you've never thought about that before. But this is what I think it's a very common, common people think uh, people who don't believe in God are thinking very similar to you. But they're just for some reason there's one little little thing like that, like thinking that it's the you know again if I believe in that God created the world I can't believe in science. No, they're not. They're not opposites. They're they're the, they're they're not antithetical at all. Um, for for us. Um, Clearly, going back to 2 Timothy 3.15, I think that absent a belief in the reliability of the Bible, that all scriptures God-breathed and useful and so forth, absent that, um, I think we'd be just 
just as much of a, a you know futile feeling position. I don't know what you what you what you really base your faith on. And I'm assuming it's all in that. But if we, absent that, it's going to be very. You're not going to be very far away from from some of these thoughts. Can I see that? Well, you want to be a good person, but what is your moral code? What do you, what do you, what is your standards? Yeah. You know, you don't believe in God. Who's giving you a standards of what is, what is Yeah, what is it's good? a, uh, it is a, uh, that's a good question. Some people may never have thought about that before. Karen? I've been told that there are just plain righteous people in the world, uh-huh. not necessarily because they are believers, but there's another concept, too, and that is, Tribes, through experience, mm-hmm. learn what is successful, mm-hmm. and therefore they follow a certain code, mm-hmm. learning what has been successful for their tribe mm-hmm. throughout the generations. I love the line that there are no good people in heaven, there are saved people. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and I've used that at the end of some comments from mm-hmm. people. And when I've heard, I just want to be a good person, well, show me what, what, where, how many times do I have to help an elderly lady mm-hmm. across the street? How much money do I have to give? How much do I have to read? Because it's not in there. Yeah. There's only one person that gets in. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus was standing at the gate and interviewed 100 guys, you know what, 99, we, we would give them our resumes. Mm-hmm. I did this, I did that, I did that, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And you're turned away. Yeah. The one that gets in says, I trusted you. Mm-hmm. And that's and to me, early in my walk after 38 years of not having the Lord in my life mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit in my heart, that was a huge, profound bridge for me to be able to tie this new faith, the words of God, my understanding, the physical, you know, without giving a testimony. But mm-hmm. and I thought that's in a, such a point of clarity mm-hmm. for me. That I said this has to work somehow, because mm-hmm. particularly for men, because it was so it's visual. Mm-hmm. I can see that in my brain, in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is that nobody good's in heaven. What do you, why are all these people worried about being good then? Mm-hmm. Trust in the Lord, and He'll work it all out. Mm-hmm. He's already done it for you. Yeah. And that's a that's a hard concept. Yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings about about you know what your faith. That's why it's good to you know, like what Pauline's saying to. You're asking somebody, hopefully they ask you. Because you might just be sowing a seed. Which which leads me to the, the next sort of step in this process is we talk about the, the friendship uh, gospel. I think, how is that how you term it, Michael, usually in the prayer focus? Friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism. That's what I wanted to write, friendship evangelism. What is that? When you hear that term, friendship evangelism, what do you, what do you think of when you hear that term? Paul wasn't friends with these guys we looked at here. So uh, friendship evangelism, what's the, what is that? It's an ulterior motive, it sounds like. Sure is. I don't like that answer. Anyone else got a better answer? <laughs> you so develop a relationship. Yes. You develop a relationship and you wait on the Lord to open the door mm-hmm. in which you can share with them about the Lord. Okay. That might be a little less underhanded. Underhanded. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Karen. Any other thoughts about what that is? I 
she had an opportunity to tell her what I believe it, but mm. I mean, I still friends when they end, when, uh, uh, I mean, I do for now, I take him to my friend, my neighbor, to the doctors, he's not a believer. I mean, I'm not gonna take her to the doctor because <laughs> she's not a believer when he needs help. No, that's, that'd be, well, and also, it's, it's all, these are all fine answers, even Karen's answer is fine, but uh, this, uh, the idea that there is a, this is this is kind of putting these two things together, it's interview, meaning you get to know somebody, like, like, uh, like, so, Don, are you friends with Brody? You can say yes. He's, he's, yeah, we are now. So, what, he shared his cake so, with me. So, so, you know, what, what, what's his mom's name? What's his favorite color? How much does he weigh? What's his birthday? The point is, the point is, yeah. The point is, you know, becoming a friend with someone—that is a process. That's a process of getting to know somebody. And then there's the interactive part, for sure. I think about, you know, I talked to our buddy today that we talked to last Shabbat. Remember? We have a friend. Most of you know, Orthodox Jew, does not believe in Yeshua, knows the New Testament better than. No offense, 95% of people in this room. Uh, and we talked for an hour or something after, two hours. after service, and then I went out to lunch, and then it's over. He called me. Oh, it was the best time of his life. He, he was like emotional talking to me. Loves us so much. He's come back to town on the 20th of was it Bob Mitzvah. I can't remember the date of December. Anyways. He believes in God, though, but not Yeshua. Correct. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he does. And, you know, but he has his questions. And he's as, he's as honest as anyone I've ever heard about. He's very honest with what, where he struggles or doesn't struggle. But the point is, have we convinced him to believe in Yeshua yet? Absolutely not. In fact, what did he? What did he I mean, and, and this is the kind of this is the kind of relationship we have at this point. Um, after years, this has been years. He said, he, he was called me, and, and I said, Hey, Joe. And I said, What do you? I said, What are you in jail? You need bail money, something like that. As soon as he called me, he said, Yeah. He said, You got to get out, you got to get you you, you got to get out of jail free card. And I said, "Say Yama Yeshua," is what I said. <laughs> his name is Jesus. Name is Jesus. And he knows a little Spanish, and so oh, he laughed. He's like this. I mean, that's the kind of thing we have. Like, there's no, like, there's no question. He's he's received. They were friends, and he's received the gospel. He knows. And and, uh, and by by the way, he uh, he considers himself well loved. Yeshua. Oh my gosh. I tried to send him. Uh, we were sending him a check one time because he he. Uh, he spoke for us one time. He ended up not taking the check. He didn't know what I wanted it for. But I said, "What's your address?" And he texted me. He said, "He said you know, six 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 Satan's Way." <laughs> and I said, "I texted him back." And he still talks about this joke to this day. I said, "No, Joe, your current address, not your future." Oh. <laughs> I mean, he knows what I'm. He knows what I'm saying. He, he thinks that's the best. And his wife is a rabbi. Also, his wife's a rabbi for the Air Force. She all this. She. She tells people that joke. Thinks it's funny. The point is, we have a friendship, and clearly we talked for two hours. It wasn't that kind of talk. We were talking about Paul and, and this, that, and the other. Paul was Paul Jewish. Did he, did he follow the Torah? What are the differences? Are there differences in Judaism? And, and I, I told him a million times that you know you, you're trying to look at the differences between you know uh, traditional Judaism and, and keeping kosher and these kind of things, and the way Yeshua uh, lived, or the way Paul lived, and so forth. I said the problem is. If Yeshua is who he says he was, all that evaporates. You know, and I said this anyways, the point is we're, I couldn't probably say that to this person I interviewed here, or the second person who also was what I would call a friendship evangelism discussion. The second thing, my case study number two, was more like the friendship gospel in the sense of it was an interview and an interaction. It was a listening, an answering, a refuting, a suggesting. Um, and that was the kind of conversation I had with this person. Um, 
but that's that's sort of the idea of friendship evangelism. I think it's it, with the focus on on the friendship, like like Dana said. Yes, you're all warmed up now. Yes. Kind <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, I have a difficulty with this phrase, friendship evangelism. Okay. Take it up, Michael. It's his fault. I'm just teasing. Well, no. I'm going to tell <laughs> he coined it. The minute we give it um, a title, yeah. right, we make it sound like um, a project. Mm. I'm going to stick to know this person, be their friend, so that I can. Yeah. And in line with what Dana was saying. Is that your sister? Do you know her? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> she just came and sat there to me. Okay. Um, I think if we're to be ready in season and out, out of season, yeah. so to speak, ready to give an answer. I think it's more a case that as we go along and as we make friends and as we get to know people, mm. as the Lord gives opportunity to share, yeah. but to give it a title. Sure. Uh, I think sometimes, and this is, that could be wrong, but I think sometimes we're afraid to say, I didn't share the gospel with this person, we just talked, or whatever. There's a pressure, I think, sometimes to, like, I need to, and there may be a time when you're like, this is like, I just need, this needs to be a one-liner, I need to, to say this, but I think, I think this this term has come about because we're often thinking of you know evangelism is is, is the handing out tracts on the street corner where, where there's no interaction with somebody and there's this pressure to as times to drop a gospel bomb on somebody versus develop a relationship with somebody. That's my I don't know if that's why that term is coined that I, way. I think that's a lot of the motivation behind it yeah. that that if we really want to evangelize people, we'll be friends with them no matter what. And I mean, a lot of times, like I said, as the Spirit leads, the, the Lord might not give you the right opportunity for years. It might just be, you be friend to this person, you listen to them, you forbear with them, whatever you want to call it. You suffer along with them, whatever it is. You know, it may not be done with an intent right away of just saying, you know, I'm here to drop the gospel grenade and get out kind of thing. And I think that's kind of the idea of what we, why we, we said that obviously a relationship is something you want to develop longer. And part of the, I think also part of the, the impression I have with that is that it implies more of a following up because it's not enough to share with someone, but I think at times you have to follow up and know what, what someone may have concluded to. When you're throwing grenades or when you're giving out tracks, there's less chance for that. There's less chance for that. I think, you know, and I apologize. We've, actually, time has gone quicker than I thought. I, I was going to go over kind of this other interaction I had with this person, which kind of started off, this was a, a back and forth with a guy that I am friends with now, that I was marginally friends with at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, this person really was, they were actually seeking, seeking the, for peace in their life and this kind of stuff. And um, and so we, we, talked, we talked about a lot of different things. Um, but what I concluded with is that in one sense, this person uh, I gave a real fair hearing to, and I didn't, because I think with some of the responses I read off of here, and if you come up and read some of these, you'll be, you'll be kind of like, whoa, uh, amazed. But um, with that, or with people running through out, out there in the world, we are, it's easy, I think, for us to become, I mean, like as, like as Greg said, you can be marginalized, you're a narrow-minded, Bible-thumping, whatever, but we can do the same as well. And we can marginalize other people's beliefs. Like, how do you just believe everything that came into existence out of nothing then? Is that right? I mean, whether you say it that way or not, you can come across it. You can marginalize in a sense. And I think in this particular case with this guy that I'm now I'm still friends with, um, you know, I, I didn't do that. 
and I did begin to build a friendship. And as, as Michael said, with friends, there is a good chance that there will be opportunities later on to explain the gospel. So not a, a worry that I'm, this is my chance. I've got to drop every bomb I've got on him right now. He wants peace and he wants, he wants serenity in his life. And he needs to realize he can get that through the Lord and so forth. Can't you just see that? I mean, it's, it's going to take time. Um, I gave all kinds of, of different examples and so forth, but I think just the fact that I was willing to not, not jump on, jump on him in a sense, we did develop a friendship. And I don't know how many of those, how many of those you have, you know, how many of those sort of friendship, uh, or what would be a better term? Any term? No term. Relationship. I, I, don't, I don't think. Well, I think it's a term for us here at Congregation, not sure. necessarily that we would say, "I'm your friend because we have a friendship evangelism," you know. <laughs> I wouldn't say that to my friend, but I'm saying you would, you, if someone wanted to say, how would you evangelize someone without using tracks and without giving the gospel grenades? Right. I, I, I don't think I think of it as evangelism at all. You don't think of, of, of you think no, it as, I, I, you don't see I it get, as, as united together. It's friendship or it's evangelism, is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is, as I get to know people, um, as I relate to them, even as I go into stores and things like that, I'm always looking for an opportunity, if it arises, to say something that, that might open up a conversation, but not in, in not in um not in an awkward way that looks like I'm simply trying to, you know, speaking of weather, of do you know Yeshua, you know, not that kind of thing, you know, but um, just as things come along, I'm always aware of the fact of who I am, that I am a believer, and I think this is the truth, and I think it's something people need to know. And so wherever I am, as the Lord brings uh, an opportunity, okay, and if somebody is my friend, since yeah. this is what I am, it's going to impact who I am, and it's going to impact the conversations I have. But I never sit down and think, I've got to think of this as this is somebody I've got to make sure at some point comes to my belief. Okay. I'll pray for it. I think it's, a, you know what I'm saying? Sure. It's something I want. But I would never in my own mind think, okay, I'm now I'm going to do evangelism. Now I'm going to... Unless, unless you can say, because of who I am, <coughs> I'm always in a spirit of evangelizing, if you, if you want to do it that way. Okay. So let, let me close with this, and I apologize for, for going a minute over here. I want to close with these, with these two questions, these kind of two um, closing questions. The first one being, what things are in our control, within our control, when it comes to, apolog I'm using the term <coughs> apologetics, when it comes to, what things are in our control? Anyone want to take a stab? What can you control? What you know, what you say. What you say, okay. That's true. Um, I'll just for sake of time, I'll tell you what I what I what I answered. Um, you can control whether or not you're going to listen to somebody versus trying to just, just dispense information. You can control um, asking for for clarification to really get to understand uh, someone's position, where they're from, what they're thinking about. You can ask probing questions. You can control sharing, um, like what Don's saying, say, what you're saying, sharing from your personal testimony or external testimony. You know, I know a guy that did this, that, and the other. I know someone that said this, that, and the other. And you can quote scripture. Don't underestimate the power of scripture. I, and, and I didn't get to it, but in my apologetic um, interaction or whatever, I uh, actually quoted scripture in some cases. I mean, it actually was, it was, it was effective. Um, the Bible says it's effective, and it was. Uh, it was effective for me coming to, to know the Lord, actually. Um, 
So those are some things that you can, because there are things you can control. And then the, the follow-up question is what things are outside of your control? Because um, there are some things that are outside of your control, and it's good to keep that in mind. And David, I was thinking um, um, that we have these opportunities, and we approach the person, or the, you know, we meet together, or we have this discussion, and then maybe we'll ever see. I think of when I was in corporate, that there's so many people that people that you interact with to know you're leaving them with something. So you can control that you're sowing a seed with somebody. Right. Okay. So keep in mind, there's things you can control, things you can't control. I think in terms of when it comes to things that are outside your control, I think it's the big one that I think is the one that often is the one that's on our shoulders. Greg expressed it very opposite in his experience, but it's that we cannot bring about the person's ultimate salvation. Right. And we cannot change their heart. And I think sometimes, maybe it sounds uh, a little too um, simple, but you need to keep that in mind, that you cannot control that, because I think that's what ultimately we want to see happen. And the fact is the thing we want to see happen more than anything, we can't control. But what we can control is how much we listen. We can control how much additional information we get from people. We can control what we share, but we can't control the ultimate thing that we want. And that's, I, I don't know about you, but that can seem frustrating and can, you know, get your armpits a little sweaty because you're wanting to, you're, that's the one thing you're wanting to see. The one thing you're, that we're, you know, am I, ex am I exhibiting enough patience? Have I exhibited enough patience here? And I want to see the person change. It should free you up. What's that? It should. should free you up. It absolutely should. It should free you up. We care. God cures. That's that's the point because we we sometimes or maybe a lot uh, see the process as a sales presentation where we feel we have to get the person to sign on the dotted line and buy the product. Uh, and if if they're not buying the product, then we feel a sense of failure. However, if the one who makes the sales pitch God, then he's the one who was able to, to close the deal. So I want to encourage you, encourage you all to, um, you know, you can go back to the lessons that we have online, and I think is that this is going to, this was kind of the conclusion of our of our um, apologetics uh, six weeks basically. And I hope it was it was something valuable. Uh, I mean, I, I'd be glad I'd be glad to share you some of these, some of these answers. But I think more than anything is just understanding that. That this whole process of walking in someone's box, understanding where they're coming from, takes work. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes uh, seriously uh, considering other people. Nothing yet. Yet. That this has to be your what you do. That you you're evangelizing everybody. But it has to be something that you that you consider. That I learned a lot by asking these questions and not saying anything. And I also learned a lot with the other one where I had to kind of interact. But I think I learned a lot more in the first one. It helped me more um, in this thing that we just ended with that I realized I can't control somebody who thinks you know, so inconsistently like this. And also get a, it also caused me to how would I answer those questions? And like, well, I know how I answer those questions. I give all, all the Shabbat school answer questions. Maybe yes, maybe no, but they're not, they're not necessarily easy. And you shouldn't just assume, you know, assume that it's just very, very simple. So uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing in the following weeks. We won't be meeting next week, uh, but I think we'll be picking up again week after that so thank you all for listening and, 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 and engaging because uh, I didn't want to just go through read my answers and have us go oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I want you to consider um, 
Holly or maybe how people what people are thinking about some of the same questions that we have. So. Uh, let's see. Mr. Michael, would you uh, close this, please? Father, we thank you for this time that we've had tonight. Thank you for the discussion and the questions. I pray that we would all consider and think on them. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us continually what our assignment is in any given situation. We pray that you would continually give us more and more divine appointments, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would direct us and watch over us and keep us all safe as we come back on Shabbat. We all remember all those that are hurting and needing healing as well, Lord. And we lift them up to you in Yeshua's name.